Truly, it is a blessing to be together today to study from God's Word, to praise Him, and to join together in our observance of the Lord's Supper. Appreciate all those who have had a part in preparing for today and getting our minds set where they need to be. And I appreciate our brother David acknowledging the fact that sometimes our minds aren't always where they need to be because we get so distracted and so busy in this world. But I hope that for the next few moments, we can focus in on some biblical text that will help us to understand our relationship with God and to improve it as we close out 2023. Invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 10. We're going to look at just a verse or two just to set the stage or the foundation for our study in an Old Testament book today. We have already acknowledged the large number of visitors that are with us today. We're glad to have you with us and appreciate so very much you encouraging us and making up for the losses that we're experiencing right now with people being sick and uh, all those kinds of things as well. With now about 12 and a half hours left in 2023, on the cusp of 2024, I thought, what is it that I'd like to say in the final moments of 2023, Lord willing, and the Lord has willed us to this point, and I trust that he will for the next 30 minutes or so. And I wanted to just go back kind of to basics, but do so by using an Old Testament book that we sometimes neglect, sometimes overlook, and sometimes even forget about. But as good Bible students, you don't neglect these books. And so we're going to look at the book of Malachi today. But I want to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 here in just a moment as we think about God matters most. I hope that as you reflect on 2023, that you can honestly say that God mattered the most to me for the last 365 days. And I hope that each of us can say in concert that as we think about 2024, I want God to matter more in 2024 than he mattered in the previous year, because I always want him to be the paramount priority of everything that I'm doing in service to him and in service to his people. I wanted to start by not looking at Malachi in particular, but just acknowledging that Old Testament studies matter. We began this morning by singing, give me the Bible and standing on the promises. And we sometimes are accused or criticized of a lack of attention to the Old Testament. I've heard it said that members of the Lord's church kind of want to just disregard those 39 books from Genesis to Malachi and instead focus themselves on Matthew to Revelation. Well, let's make sure that we are not guilty of of that charge or guilty of that claim. And I appreciate our shepherds who, among other things in their wisdom, have said that each Wednesday when we come together in our high school or in our adult classes, we are solely focused on Old Testament passages and Old Testament principles. Because not just so that we could check the box to say that we don't fit that charge, but so that we can appreciate the lessons that are gained from the Old Testament. 
our high school students better be able to tell us what Romans 15 verse 4 says because I've been teaching in our high school class, and so I'm going to now ask them. But Romans 15 verse 4, we have started for the last 12 weeks in every high school class with what does that verse say, whether you can quote it or whether you can just summarize it. And all of our high school students, I think, can successfully say that the things that were written before, they were written for our learning, for our comfort, for patience, and for understanding some variation of that particular word choice. And so I appreciate our brother Keith reading for us from Romans chapter 15. Similarly, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're not going to read all 11 verses in the first part of chapter 10. But he makes reference, the Apostle Paul does here, to some Old Testament stories, some Old Testament accounts. And he says in verse 11, he says, all these things happened to them. And then if you want to underline the word examples, at least in the New King James Version, they happened as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And so if you go back and read Hebrews chapter 11, you will see a litany, a long list of Old Testament characters and the stories that surrounded them, all of which remind us of the fact that these people, their lives, their examples, their successes, and their failures all mattered, matter, and will always matter. And so I think that's important for us to acknowledge when we look at an Old Testament book, which we're going to do today for the next 20-some minutes, when we think about the study of the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. Here we are on the last Lord's Day, and indeed the last day of 2023, and we're going to look at the last book of the Old Testament. There are lots of different ways or lenses through which we can study the book of Malachi. And before we get into the five major observations that I'd like us to make, I wanted us just to consider some observations in a more broad or global point of view, options for studying the final Old Testament book. You could also say this is a way to study any of the prophets, whether they be the shorter prophets that close out the Old Testament or the older, longer prophets that comprise the rest of the Old Testament. Let me share with you four ways you might consider studying the book of Malachi. So maybe one of the things you're thinking about doing in 2024 is studying the Bible more. That's a great resolution going into the next few hours. So I want to study the book of Malachi and master the book of Malachi. Let me, let me share with you four lenses. One is to look at the disputes or the disagreements that God had with his people. In many ways, some have said that the book of Malachi is like a lawyer arguing the points that the people have made, saying, well, this is what you said, now let me give you an answer back. <clears throat> and that's what Malachi is certainly concerned with doing here. Another way of looking at it is just looking at it from a leadership point of view, where you see the leadership of the people of the Jewish uh, nation some 24 to 2,500 years ago, their failures exemplified. One of the interesting ways of studying the book of Malachi is just looking for all the different question marks and find those question marks because they are questions that are being asked that lead to obvious answers that call upon the readers to say, hmm, maybe I'm not living as right as I thought I should. And then a fourth way that I had not thought of before until it came up in a Bible study just a few weeks ago is note all the you say statements. You say this, I say this. You say this, 
I say this. So there's lots of different ways of studying the book of Malachi. And we're going to look at a number of those ways in the course of our five observations today. First and foremost, I want us to appreciate that our trust in God is paramount. Nothing matters more than trusting our God. And to prove that point, I want us to read the first five verses. We're not going to read all of the book of Malachi today, though it is one of the shorter of the prophets. And we're going to read probably about a third of the book of Malachi. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And that's a fairly standard or ordinary beginning to one of the prophets. He says, I have loved you says the Lord. Here it is. Yet you say, in what way have you loved us? There's a question mark. Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places, Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I'm going to throw down. They shall be called the territory of the wickedness and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. One more verse. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, the Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. In what way have you loved us? What a question to ask of the creator. Here is the covenant people who have been treated so well by their God. And fortunately, sarcasm note, we never argue with God in what way have you loved us. But there are times where privately we think, God, you haven't provided for me today the way that I think you should provide for me. You haven't done the things that I think are necessary. You haven't blessed me financially in the ways that I think are important. Do you really love me? We may not out and out say that in our prayer, but it may cross our mind. As always, God provides the evidence for his previous care. And in doing so, shows how all the different things he has done, all the different things he has orchestrated, and all the different things that he has accomplished has been for their good. And I was thinking about this, and I'm going to bring up a couple passages here in just a moment. But it came across to me that it struck me that we can get locked in, and I put that in quotes, to a spiritual mindset of spiritual amnesia, whereas I talked about two weeks ago, you may recall, that we look back at what God has done for us and we think, he did that for me six months ago, but I'm not sure that he can do that for me today. He saw me through that dark tunnel a year ago, but I'm not sure that he'll be there in 2024. That kind of thinking is dangerous because it shows a lack of trust in God. And as we're acknowledging here, trust is paramount. In what way have you loved us, you say? In what way have you shown us your devotion to us? And Malachi says, guys, that's not a very smart question to ask of the Lord, who has repeatedly and regularly shown his love. Let me share with you two passages here. I want to go back to the book of Jeremiah. 
We recently concluded a study of Jeremiah, and we had a good study of that book with Brother Jonathan and a couple years earlier with Brother Matt and some others. But in Jeremiah chapter 49, I was thinking about this particular passage just a couple of days ago. And read with me, if you would, beginning in 49 of Jeremiah, beginning in verse 16. Your fierceness has deceived you. The pride, we're going to come back and revisit the subject of pride in just a few minutes. The pride of your heart. O you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, who hold the height of the hill. Now he's talking here about Edom. And I'm going to go ahead and put on the screen, see the book of Obadiah, because the book of Obadiah is all about Edom and all about those who dwell in the clefts of the rocks and think that they are uh, uh, insurmountable, that no one's going to overtake them. Verse 17, Edom is also going to be in astonishment. Everyone who goes by it will be astonished and will hiss at all of its plagues. As in the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord, no one shall remain there nor shall a son of man dwell in it. And while this may not make sense to a casual observer of the Bible, to good Bible students, we understand that Edom was a group of people that was in many ways represented of the people that were opposed to God because, of course, Israel would come from Jacob and Edom would come from Esau. And so the idea here says that God says, I'm there to protect you. I'm there to provide for you. I have given you every reason to trust me in the past, and there is no reason for you not to trust me going forward. There's going to be times where your trust in God in 2024 is not going to be as it should be. I'm just just making a wild venture. At some point in the next 365 days, you're going to maybe think about, how much can I trust my Lord? When that happens, go back to Malachi chapter one, and the first four or five verses, and realize that God says, you can trust me. Secondly, our worship of God is an absolute priority. Go back to Malachi chapter one, and I want to read verses six through 14 in this last book of the Old Testament. And so he goes on in verse six, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I'm a master, where's my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name. And yet you say, here's a question, in what way have we despised your name? I almost get the idea of Malachi saying, I'm glad you asked that question because I have a list of things to show you how you've despised my name. You have offered defiled food on my altar and then say, in what way have we defiled you? When you offer, verse 8, the blind as a sacrifice, is that not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? But now entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us while this is being done by your hands. Will he accept you favorably there in verse 9? Drop down to verse 12. You profane it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. And then verse 13, I think one of the most dangerous things that Malachi seems to highlight. He says, you also say, oh, what a weariness. 
What a bore. What a laborious task. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, you bring as an offering. But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, verse 14, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. As our high school students would be able to tell you, the book of Malachi is one of the three major prophets in the so-called minor or shorter prophets that talks about the people coming back out of exile into a land to restore it, both physically in the political side of things, but more importantly, spiritually in the figurative side of things. I say all that because the question simply is, where's my honor? You're here back in the homeland by virtue of my grace and my kindness. Where's my honor? I see that you are treating political authorities better than you're treating me. And so think about that from a very practical point of view. Rather than this being a lesson with principles and then uh, some practical things at the end, we're going to kind of mix them in. Consider, if you would, what we offer as compared to the Lord. What about our attitude? What's your attitude like at work when you get paid? I'm positive. I'm upbeat. But when I'm here, my attitude is not so positive. Or my attitude towards helping someone when I know I might get something in return versus when I might actually lose in that, quote, investment. And of course, there's no loss in the investment spiritually for those of us who see things as a spiritual endeavor. What about our financial contributions? What about our attention to the needs of our brethren, to the needs of the facility that we are in, to the needs of those who are in need of help? I won't take the time and go back and read Psalm 47, but go back and read Psalm 47 sometime in the next 365 days. And you will see, <clears throat> see there that worship to God is an absolute priority. I appreciate Again, so very much David taking us through the Lord's Supper this morning. And I'm glad that he was willing to acknowledge that there's been times where he's partaking of the Lord's Supper and said, what did I just do? What just happened there? That's not a good sign. But there are times where we as human beings, because we're humans who are Christians, can look at coming to an occasion like this and say, what a weary we might say, I would never argue that, but at some point it may cross your mind in the next 365 days because you're tired. You don't feel the best. I'm not talking about feeling sick and staying home because you don't want to be contagious to someone else, but maybe you just don't feel real great. There are a lot of people who are here this morning that probably don't feel 100%, but yet you're still here because you don't think you're contagious and we're thankful for that, but you don't feel well but you're still here because you care about spiritual things. And you say, this is not a weary. This is not a, a task. This is a privilege, as Brother Brian pointed out at the outset of our services this morning. On the subject of leadership, we do need to spend just a couple of moments talking about that and that leadership matters most. And so go to Malachi chapter two. We won't read all nine verses, but we'll pick four or five verses here. He says, now, I want to talk to you, particularly who are the priests. Here's the commandment for you. If, verse 2, you'll not hear, if you'll not take it to heart to give glory to my name, then I'm going to send a curse on you. I will curse your blessings, 
as I have cursed them already, because you do not take it to heart. You're not listening to me. It's almost like Malachi, by way of God, is getting them by the lapels and saying, you're not hearing me. You're not listening. Verse 7, one of the things that the lips of a priest should do is keep knowledge and that the people should seek the law from his mouth. But verse 8, you have departed from the way. You have caused many to stumble at the law. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi. Therefore, I also have made you contemptible and base before all the people because you have not kept my ways, but you've shown partiality in the law. If anybody in this Jewish society should have been on point and on target, it should have been the leadership. It should have been the priests. And God says, by way of Malachi, he says, your leadership matters and it's not what it needs to be. On the subject of leadership, I would encourage you to pick up one of the bulletins today. I'd encourage you always to do so. But the article today is written by a shepherd out of Texas, uh, and he talks about the work that shepherds do. And leaders in place are individuals who, like a priest, should keep knowledge and should have knowledge at their disposal. And leaders in place need to know these lessons. I would argue that if you're serving as a shepherd, that at some point in the course of the next 365 days, at least scan through the book of Malachi, especially chapter two. While they are not priests in the Old Testament category, they are certainly those who have knowledge, who have wisdom, and who are leaders. But that's not just true for the five men who wear a title of elder in this congregation. Let me suggest to you that those of you who are in your 20s and 30s and 40s and maybe even in your 50s who are perhaps thinking about serving in leadership need to know these things as well. Turn back just three or four pages in your Bible to a text that our high school class was looking at just a couple of days ago in verse 17 of Zechariah chapter 11. He says, woe to the worthless shepherd. If God calls you a worthless shepherd, that's not a compliment. That's a derogatory remark, and it's worthy of attention. He says, woe to you, worthless shepherd. Those of you that would leave the flock, a sword shall be against his arm, against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither. His right eye shall be totally blinded. That, to me, would be a very frightening verse for shepherds in a local church, as well as Bible class teachers and preachers and all of us in any capacity that we're serving or leading or teaching or in any way trying to help others. And go back sometime and read Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 16, where you see that elders there are instructed to be able to convict, in the King James Version, the gainsayers. Those who would be out for political gain or political power or financial gain or those that are trying to teach false doctrine certainly have the ability to be very influential. And elders have the unique responsibility of warning against those kinds of behaviors. What else do we get from Malachi? Let me suggest to you two more things. One is this, that God is gracious and that God is forgiving. So if you thought that Malachi was this very heavy book wherein things weren't looking very well, you'd be correct. But like so many of the other prophets, shorter and longer combined, 
there's this mix of here's what you've done wrong, but God provides you with grace and forgiveness if you change and you repent. And so I wanna drop down now to Malachi chapter three. And I wanna quickly read through the first six or seven verses. Behold, I send my messenger. He's gonna prepare the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi, purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Drop down to verse six. For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. And then the beautiful section of verse seven that causes you to say, ah, there it is. Return to me and I'll return to you. But you said, how are we going to return? Or in what fashion are we going to return? The messenger would come. And so I would encourage you to go back and refresh yourself with how this is a look forward to 400 to 500 years into the future as Mark chapter one goes back and directly quotes from this particular text in talking about John the baptizer, laying the groundwork for his younger cousin, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ. I wanted to say a side note about verse six. And that is there's a possibility of there being a misinterpretation of verse six that I believe is very dangerous. And honestly, <clears throat> I guess you'd like the preacher to always be honest. Uh, I would not have thought about this except for a study that I was engaged in about four weeks ago. And someone <clears throat> not from this area of the country, from a different state said, well, verse six says, I am the Lord I do not change. And this was in the context of a discussion on why we as members of the Lord's church do not use instrumental music. And the person was trying to make the point in a very dangerous fashion that it was allowed in the Old Testament. God doesn't change. Therefore, it should be allowed in the New Testament. So I did my very best to try to clear up that confusion and to try to shed some light on the idea of what that really means, and certainly to appreciate the context in which Malachi is speaking here. And he's not saying that there aren't laws that aren't different old versus new, because we agree that there are, but rather the same God who has provided grace and forgiveness in the past is the same God that provides that grace and forgiveness going forward. And so that leads us then to that beautiful section of chapter three and verse seven, return to me, I'll return to you. There is never a time in our lives where we are so far from God that if we have a heart that is pure and a heart that John prayed for in our opening prayer this morning that is able to be amendable to God, that we can't come back to him. The caveat would be someone <clears throat> whose heart is seared, I suppose, who completely says, I want nothing to do with spiritual things and will never make a change for the better. 
Again, go back just <clears throat> maybe 10 pages in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 1 and verse 3. Thus says the Lord, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. James chapter 4 says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. When you find yourself separated from God, it is not because God says, I want to get further away from you. It's because we willfully chose to get far away from him. And we've got to remember that that's the way it works because God is gracious and God is forgiving. And that brings us to a fifth observation that I kind of highlighted just a few moments ago and said we'd come back to, and that is God resists the proud. There's a lot to be said in the Bible about pride and about the danger associated with it. Behold, verse one of the final chapter, the day is coming, burning like an oven, all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble. He says in verse two, to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in its wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves, you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord. Those last three verses are filled with promise and forward-looking. The last words of the Old Testament, here they are. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Remember, again, these are the closing words of what we call the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Until we hear those words that would expound into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and even in John, in chapter 4 and verse 1, the New King James uses the word stubble. The NSAB uses the word chaff, that which is nothing. Hearts that are soft and amendable to God's teachings are always to be sought. And that's what we're seeking. The unfortunate thing is that people don't have great emojis above their head that tells us whether or not they have open hearts or not. So we have to teach them no matter what. And when I say half, I say that with a bit of uh, complexity because it is our choice and our privilege to teach them. We each get to determine whether our hearts are prideful or our hearts are soft. And as you think about <clears throat> 2024, make God trust Make our trust in God paramount. Make our worship to him a priority. For those who are leaders and for those who want to be leaders, remember the lessons learned from Malachi. Always consider the graciousness and forgiveness of our God and never be proud. Always be willing to admit, I've got room for improvement. I think that if we were to go around and take 150 confessions today, it'd be 150 people saying, yep, I've got room for improvement in 2024. 
I have no doubt there's not a single person here that would say, no room for me, because we're human beings who are trying to realize that God matters most. How much he matters to you is up to you to decide. And so if you're here and you're not a Christian, we hope that you'll really consider becoming a Christian today. That you say, you know what, it's time for me to end the life of selfishness and service to self and service to me and instead focus my attention on doing what the Lord wants me to do. And be baptized to have your sins washed away. Maybe you want to study further on those particular things. We'd be happy to do that. If we can help you to come home to God, to come home to the God who matters most, let us know while we stand and while we sing.